What is happening, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com. I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. Today, I've got special repeat guest Aaron Day on the line. This is the, I want to say, third podcast. I think that's what he and I decided. Third podcast of me having him on the show here. Always a pleasure talking to Aaron. He's a super cool dude. He's had so many things happen to his life here in the last little bit. Um, he's come up with a new cookbook. This one's all about how to cook keto with an air fryer, something that I'm not an expert in by any means, but I do use the air fryer quite a bit, so super informative there. But we talked about a lot more than just how to cook with an air fryer. We talked about uh, we talked about his parenting strategy. He just had a baby girl, so super excited for him there. That's freaking awesome. He's going to be an amazing father. Um, so we talked about that. We talked about parenting with regard to nutritional plans for you know her future, what he kind of wants to instill in that regard. We talked about his uh, compositional change. He went from 25% body fat to 15, how he did that, how he tracked macros, how he made that transition. We talked about his keto marathon. We talked about all kinds of things. Talked about business, entrepreneurship, and what it's like building a business, especially with uh, you know, a baby girl, all the stress that that may bring on and how to kind of have the right mindset to continue to grow as an entrepreneur. Like I said, always a pleasure talking to Aaron. Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I have no doubt you will as well. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast with Aaron Day. And Aaron, we are live. How are you, brother? Oh, it's so good to be here, man. It's um, I think it's now our third podcast together. I think, and it's just it's just so great to be back. I think it is the third, man. It's crazy because there's not a whole lot of guests that I've had that have been on three times. But I, when I when I woke up this morning, I looked at my schedule and I recognized that I was recording with you again. And I'm like, all right, no matter what else happens, I'm going to be soothed by Aaron Day's voice, and it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm the guy with the accent. Hey. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, but hey, man, a lot has happened since the last time we recorded, which honestly wasn't that long ago, but you've had a lot of like life-altering things happen just in that short period of time. Yeah, yeah. So I recently became a dad um, and I've <laughs> been, uh, you know, a beautiful baby girl, which is which is just super life-changing and it's so awesome. Um, yeah, uh, did a new cookbook. There's uh, the, the whole, you know, everything in the world has changed as well. So yeah. <laughs> there's been a lot going on. Absolutely, man. Um, all right, so let's 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 roll up our sleeves and dive into each of these different things. Um, let, let's start with the cookbook. I want I want to start there. Uh, I got the cookbook in the mail not too long ago. This one's all about the um, uh, air fryer version of how to cook with keto. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Do you do you have an air fryer at at the at your place? Yeah, it's it's funny because I'm normally like super simple when it comes to to recipes and cooking techniques and like. You know, some people go down the rabbit hole with all the as-seen-on-TV tools and practices, <laughs> and I've always kind of viewed an air fryer as that same thing. Um, mm. But then we got one, and it's like I actually freaking use it all the time. Crystal lives and dies by it, so, I mean, it actually is one of those few things that gets used daily, and it makes keto even easier, so I'm all for it. I totally agree. You know, I think the way that air fryers was were marketed first up, because I had an air fryer, like, maybe, like, seven or eight years ago and they just died you know they they came in and they had these you know ones where you had the the turn dial and uh, they just died in australia and now they're coming back with a vengeance and now came out now these selling them and they're just everywhere <laughs> but yeah i do agree like they become one of those things in the kitchen where i i i don't really want to turn the oven on anymore i just turn the air fryer on it's just so much easier and quicker and uses less power too yeah, and you get like like for me, I'm a I'm a big texture texture guy, you know. So like, you can throw something in the oven or in the microwave. If you put it in the microwave, it's just gonna wind up being soggy. But the air fryer, like, you get that crisp like you know crust to it all, which is the main thing. Yeah, yeah, and that's it's it's so good, right? Like I've I've ended up cooking a lot of my proteins in the air fryer, like steak or bacon or um, you know even whole chickens. Like the the air fryer is one of those things. But you know that the, the concept of the air fryer was what really tripped me at first because I, uh, you know, the whole concept of an air fryer is like ah, cook with less fat, cook with air, and I'm like, yeah, we're on the ketogenic diet, we want all the fat. So <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it was uh, it was it was tricky, but I I do think that if you are using you know good quality ingredients or using high quality fats, you don't want to use heaps of it because you're going to go broke really quickly. Um, so that was the benefit of the air fryer for me was you know one using those those uh, good quality 
uh, fats, but also just being able to use it super quickly as well. Yeah, and, and for me, like I'm all about tracking my macros and getting everything dialed in. If I'm if I'm cooking something that is very fatty in like the oven, I'll oftentimes lose a lot of that fat in the drippings, and it's just harder to retain it. Whereas with the air fryer. I don't feel like you lose as much because you get that crust and then you can account for more of the fat that's that's listed on the action nutrition label. Mm, yeah, that's so true. And if you, um, you know, the air fryer that I've got, it's got like this basket that sits at the bottom so that the, the excess fat tends to drip to the bottom. And even if you wanted to get like super in technical about it, you could weigh how much fat is left over. So you could <laughs> figure out, you know, and depending on whether you're doing raw weight or cooked weight, you know, ah, oh, yeah, uh, tracking macros is is, uh, is one of those things that tends to be uh, perceived as a little neurotic for some people, but like, wow, the accuracy that you can get is just, yeah, phenomenal, especially with an air fryer too. Yeah, it makes it makes a difference, man. You, you just recently underwent a total, you know, compositional change. You said before we started recording, you went from like 25% body fat to 15. That was all, I mean, I'm assuming you were tracking during part of that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I, at the start of last year, so start of 2020, uh, right before the whole world changed, <laughs> um, the, I, I reached out to a couple of different people. I reached out to, uh, uh, keto road, um, Jonathan, I also reached out to Tara Garrison. I also reached out to Frida and I said, look, I, I want to start tracking my macros. I, it's, it's not something that I've really done that uh, specifically before. And, uh, you know, can you help me out? And, and, you know, most of them were like, yeah, awesome. And then Frida came back and she's like, mate, I've got you covered. <laughs> and, um, and so we worked together um, for, I reckon, seven months, um, mm-hmm. seven or eight months. And, uh, it was a it was it was a pretty big change for me because I'd I'd come off the back of running a keto marathon where um, at the end of that I got a DEXA scan before and after so before I was like I don't know it, it still wasn't great but after I ran the the keto marathon I was twenty five percent body fat so I was the fattest I'd ever been in my life really mm-hmm. um, which was crazy because I thought you know I was running a marathon why on earth would like you, you, you're trying to optimize your power to rate ratio and all these things and I was just super heavy and I thought wow um, and so I I cut out doing cardio and I started tracking macros and I just started strength training. Um, and over that period of time, you know, I, over the first three months, I was able to get down to 18% body fat. And then from there it was down to 15% body fat. And then now it's rebuilding muscle so that because I just had, um, a, a reduced amount of lean muscle mass, you know, that percentage, uh, is, is kind of hard to deal with because as, <laughs> when you have so little lean muscle mass, your, your fat percentage can be really high, even though there's not that much fat on your body, mm-hmm. um, so uh, I often find a lot of marathon runners will tend to be like in the higher body fat percentages as well because they tend to reduce their amount of lean muscle mass just from excessive cardio and excessive endurance exercise. So, yeah, it was a massive transition uh, transition for me. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm forever thankful for Frida for like walking me through that. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's life-changing. And now macro tracking is my number one, thing that I use to, to, to get healthy. I think that macros and micros and gut health and, you know, everything has its place, but, uh, grass fed, organic, you know, blessed by holy monks doesn't tend to work if you're just eating too much. Right. <laughs> so macros is a great way to tangibly, you know, uh, get that in your brain as well. Yeah, I totally agree, man. I feel like, you know, the, the keto low carb carnivore space is kind of segmented into, you know, various different groups and you've got one camp that says don't track anything just eat intuitively. If you are um, simply eating to satiety from high quality, you know, grass fed, finished sources, you have nothing to worry about. But I totally disagree when the primary goal is like, if you're coming from a very, very unhealthy standpoint, and you just need to get healthy, then yeah, there's definitely some merit in that. But if you're trying to like legitimately change your body's composition, you know, 180 degrees and get to a very lean physique, uh, more so than you would just intuitively do. I mean, like when I'm doing a competition prep, you know, I'm getting down like three or four percent body fat. Like that's not something naturally mm-hmm. found in the wild. You have to kind of do things that are unnatural. And mm-hmm. tracking macros is a great way to do that. So with you, how'd you kind of structure that? How are you like what were your, your ratios looking like? Were you doing carb ups? Like how'd you kind of format that? Yeah. So uh, I started doing carb cycling. So one thing for me is that at and I think that any good coach or any good person who can understand how to apply the ketogenic diet to someone's lifestyle 
will take into account what's happening around them. So for me, like I, I'm in a house where no one else is, is keto, right? Mm-hmm. And so it can be kind of hard to just stick with a really low amount of carbohydrates. And so I did carb cycling. So I was pretty low during the week and I was doing meal prep. So I was doing a lot of the meal preps from my um, my previous meal prep cookbook, uh, using those a lot during the week. And then on the weekends, I would strategically incorporate carbohydrates around post-workouts. So it was a recomposition for me. It wasn't just fat loss. It was recomp. So I was trying to build muscle and lose fat at the same time. So I ended up losing, I think, about 13 or 14 kilos of fat, which is like close to 20 pounds, I guess, or maybe a bit more, um, and then added uh, added four kilos of lean mass at the same time. So I lost a lot of fat. And so it was like a, I lost twice as much fat and I I gained half as much muscle back. Um, which was incredible because then your lean mass, uh, is, is higher. Your, your basal metabolic rates higher and you're just able to eat more food at, (laughs) at a, at a leaner standpoint, which just was mind boggling for me. But yeah, I started doing carb cycling and then I moved down into, um, doing you know more of a strict keto approach mm-hmm. uh, and then I reversed out of that and now I'm uh, now I'm, <laughs> I'm doing something completely different we probably don't want to touch on that but uh, I think that you know using uh, I was targeting protein that was a massive change for me because uh, a lot of the times on the ketogenic diet everyone's just like I oh, just eat all the fat you can eat as much fat as you like and it's not going to have any effect at all and I was 100% of the belief that that was the case until I started tracking macros and, uh, you know, realized that you can very easily under eat protein, especially if you're trying to change your body composition. Um, you can, uh, maximizing protein there is, is important and then just getting enough energy from fat so that you don't, um, you know, pass out during the day. So <laughs> that was, uh, that was the way that I did it, but it, you know, it, it, it's going to be different for everyone really. And I think that, uh, Frida did such a great job. Yeah, to be able to do that carb cycling and then introduce things where, where as necessary. So doing diet breaks or, um, you know, doing all of those things where it was just, it was just super, super helpful. Do you have any idea what your starting caloric intake was when you were at the heaviest and then what it got down to at the end of the prep or cut? Yeah. So when I first started, it was about two, 2000 calories. That's what my first week of tracking was. And then I got down to um, 1,600. So super low for a male, but I didn't stay there for very long. I only stayed there for about two or three weeks. Um, and it was it was a very slow, pro. it was like not slow progress, but it was a very gradual decrease. Yeah. So but consistency, like, and that was the thing that was, that was so, so um, eye-opening to me is like, it doesn't matter if, you ha- if you're if you on the perfect plan or if you have the perfect macros or you're eating the perfect food. If you are consistently tracking macros or you're consistently moving in the right direction and you're consistently moving some heavy things, you're going to get there. And it's just how long it takes you is, is up to your own body's ability, right? Is that something that you've found as well? 100%, man. I mean, when, I've, when I'm working with clients, it's it's frustrating when I get clients that, you know, automatically have a very short-sighted view as to what the expectation is, to what the plan is. Like if they're not seeing, you know, substantial weight loss within the first three weeks, they get very disheartened. And then after that, they're like, you know, all over the place on the macros or even before that, like they'll start off, they'll start out the gates all over the place with the macros. But, you know, that's a, such a stark contrast to the clients I have that are like, you know, they understand that it's not going to happen overnight. They take this long game approach and they're very diligent and disciplined with hitting their macros, uh, you know, consistently. And if you do that, like you will 100% reach the goal. Now it, it, it's going to be different for everybody, like you said, and you know, the, your metabolic rate, your age, your sex, your, your quality of the food, like all that comes into play. But if you're able to attack it with discipline and a long game philosophy, then your odds of success are just exponentially heightened. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think that's where like if someone is looking to change their body composition who's listening to this podcast, it's so important to have a coach because um, they are able to talk you through those those points where you may be able to convince yourself out of it. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I work with some clients now, which is which has been super, super awesome because I'm actually making change in the world as opposed to just putting all these ketogenic recipes out there and not really seeing any tangible results. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing people uh, lose 
10 kilos in eight weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's incredible to see that, but it doesn't happen for everyone. And I think that's the, the most important thing is like those people who were able to get to uh, that weight were extremely diligent and they were able to see the bigger picture. They wanted, you know, maybe their goal was 10 kilos more than that or 20 pounds more than that. Um, and so, you know, we continue working together and the mindset is there, but sometimes it's off. And sometimes you just need some convincing to say like, Hey, look, consistency is better than perfection. <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, and, it, it, and, and, so, and for sometimes, and for some people, it's not all about macros. Like they get to, to 900 calories in a day and they're just not budging. And then you, then you have to start tracking, uh, where you start digging into hormones and adrenals and thyroid and things like that, where, you know, even tracking macros would have failed them in the past. And so that's where I kind of specialize is, is digging even further past that with clients who have been able to um, not see so much success with, with other, other diets or other ways of doing it as well. 100%. And there's so much of it that goes, I mean, the, the macros are, are so important for sure, but I mean, there's a lot of people that are just under-consuming calories for far too long and then that down-regulates their metabolism and then you have to reverse mm-hmm. diet them and then stay at a surplus for ample amount of time for the things to reset or else you're just, you know, digging a, a bottomless hole that you'll never, you'll, you'll never see the progress you want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, not uh, with that, like people are just so stressed out and stress and lack of sleep and everything just compounds into, uh, you know, really shot adrenals. And so even if you, they are eating less than what they should, it's just going to send them into a spiral. And, and so, yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I have had a lot of, should I say difficult clients, but, but with that, I think it's, it's so, um, opening for them to be like, wow, okay, the issues that I'm dealing with aren't just that I'm not eating the right foods or I'm not eating enough fat or I'm not eating enough protein or whatever. It's like, I, I really need to build up my cholesterol or mm-hmm. really go through a detox and, and go through that phase two liver detox process to be able to push past that, that point where, you know, fasting and macros just really didn't stop working. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy world. And, and I think that for me, macros was 100% the, the, the goal that got me there, um, and continues to, to be the goal. But for some people, it, it may not also be as well. Totally. Totally. I don't think you were coaching last time we talked. So how did that come to be? You just saw the, the transition in your own life and were motivated to, you know, help others reach similar goals or how, how did that come to be? Yeah, so it was a it was a combination of a lot of factors. During COVID, um, the you know having a food blog was was a little bit of a um, <laughs> uh, you, you're sort of up to the whim of how much advertisers are willing to pay to have ads on your website. Mm-hmm. And so, as a food blogger, you're relying so much on advertising, which is so up and down. I was like, you know what, this is not the way I want to live my life. I don't want to like be uh, you know under the the wing of all of these advertisers. So I started doing my own thing. And, and prior to that, I was selling eBooks and I had other recipe books out and, and things, but it was not really my main drive. My main drive was like making recipes for the blog. Um, but since, yeah, since COVID, there was a massive drop in income. And, and so I thought, well, you know, I need to sustain this. I've, I've got a little baby girl now. And so I need to be able to support um, both my wife and her. And I started doing coaching off the back of that. So I did a lot of training, uh, training with um, a company called the Health Science Academy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became a nutritional therapist, clinical weight loss practitioner, uh, dietary supplements advisor. All of these um, qualifications gave me really, really, really solid information on how to work with clients because uh, my sister, she's a nutritionist. And uh, she's been through uni. She's $60,000 in debt. Um, and we have very similar information on how we deal with clients in, in, in particular ways, right? And so I, I have done a bachelor in the past. Uh, and I just don't think university really gave me the, 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 the tools and, the, and the, the, I don't know, I guess the resources to be able to work with clients properly. So um, going back and doing that training, was, was really eye-opening for me because now I have all of these processes and these protocols that I can push clients through that gets them results. And, and that, was, that was the one thing for me. I was like, oh, wow, on top of all of my training, adding macros to the mix was 
was massive. And, and so I started with a, a few clients and then what happened was they, <laughs> they started seeing results and then all of their friends came to me and they were like, look, you know, she's seeing results. Can you get results for me? And so it <laughs> just exploded. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I, I really only have enough time in a day to be, to be able to see a few clients. And, and so I, yeah, I just started from there and, and it, it's, it's been going gangbusters, which is, which is just crazy. I love it, man. I love it. I've been I've been coaching for shoot probably since 2016 when I first started the the company, and I don't think I'll ever give it up. Like it's definitely not the main part of the business or even where I really want to make the priority. But it's so rewarding because not only are you it, it goes both ways. I mean, you're able to help somebody else reach their health and wellness and fitness goals, which is incredibly fulfilling. Uh, but it also keeps you much sharper as the coach. Like you're able to see what works, see what doesn't work, and then you know apply that to your own life and any future clients. So you become better for it. They become better for it. It's just such a rewarding, uh, you know, relationship that you you can't really mimic anywhere else. Like there's there's nothing like the, a quality coaching client relationship. And I feel like there's so much to be said for that. And there's I mean, from a, a strictly business standpoint, it oftentimes isn't scalable. It doesn't make the most sense. But just the fulfillment that comes with connecting with somebody one-on-one and then allowing them to be healthier. And it goes way beyond just like macros and, and hormonal adjustments. I mean, you start getting into like psychology and you start being there for people. And it just, I don't know, it's just, it's hard to replicate them. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was never prepared for the amount of psychological help that I would yeah. <laughs> be pointing people towards because, you know, food is emotional, right? And so many people deal with emotions through food. Um, and so no matter what macros someone's on, if they're emotionally incapable of following those macros, then it gets quite hard. So yeah, I totally agree. And and uh, and as you said before, like coaching isn't scalable. And I, and I <laughs> totally agree with that one too. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I went from trading, uh, you know, recipes online for money to now like helping people uh online for money and and it's it's i i find it so much more rewarding because you actually feel like you're making a difference 100%. Um, and that they'll get feedback from from their son and say you know oh, you know mom you, you're looking in the best shape of your life and they come back to me and they're stoked and i'm stoked and so <laughs> you know uh, re- recipes don't really get that you you just go oh can i substitute this with almond flour or can i substitute <laughs> this with this and you go yes you can you see a very polite response but oh my god <laughs> it gets a bit much sometimes that's true that's true you mentioned mm-hmm. that uh you, you ran a marathon prior to your cut do you do much running now um i do zero running you're running. <laughs> I, I, I threw the baby out with the bathwater. So uh, basically um, prior to uh, starting my website, I, I did a lot of running, did a lot of endurance exercise. Um, and so I did a one-day cycling event, which is called Three Peaks here in Australia, which is 250Ks up and down three ginormous mountains, um, which was fun in and of itself. But then I was like, well, you know, I've done cycling and I've done, I, I sort of got a bit into racing and and then it got really scary and I thought, you know, I don't really want to break my neck. So um, I, I move into running and um, my partner, she has done a lot of works with uh, the elite athletes when they came to the Gold Coast Marathon in Australia. Mm-hmm. So she'd be working with the Kenyans and the Ethiopians and, and the Japanese and, and, and people from the US who were trying to break um, the their previous records to try and get into the Commonwealth Games or try and get into the the, the Olympic Games. Um, so I was seeing a lot of these elite athletes around. I thought, you know, maybe running's fun. And so I started running half marathons or actually started running 5Ks and 10Ks and half marathons. And then I had this crazy harebrained idea to do a keto marathon. Um, and so whilst it was uh, whilst it was really good, I just don't think I did it in a good way um, because there's been a lot of people who've had had success with doing a marathon in a ketogenic diet or at least in a fat adapted state. Mm-hmm. Whereas I went 100% keto, like the night before I was eating bacon and eggs and <laughs> the only thing I had with me was electrolytes. Mm-hmm. And so I got about three quarters of the way in and just hit this massive brick wall. Um, and so, I, you know, when I was doing half marathons, I'd be able to get an hour, hour and a half for that half marathon, which is what I thought was pretty fast. And then I did a full marathon. I came in in about four, four and a half hours. So 
a lot, a lot of extra time added in there, just me trying to battle with the glucose dependency. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and I read um, Ben Greenfield's uh, book, recent book. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's oh, anyway. But he talks about this uh, this fueling strategy that he used when he was doing Ironmans in a ketogenic diet. Um, and he spoke to Dr. Peter Atia, uh, yeah, Peter Atia, and he and he said what happens most of the time is that you don't necessarily go into a bonk your nervous system shuts down and it's because you're not getting enough protein and so uh you know uh you need to build in some fueling strategies into even though you're doing fat adapted you still require some fueling strategies to get through a particular race in in a in a fast way like so if you're trying to break your previous record if you're trying to beat someone else in a pack (laughs) you need to be able to um have some type of fuel source. So, uh, so fats r- really healthy, uh, really good way to do that really clean, but then also having some type of protein in there, usually collagen works best. Um, and then having some type of carbohydrate to prevent, uh, the nervous system shutdown as well. That's, that's really going to help. It's in Ben Greenfield's latest book. I think it's also on his website. Um, but yeah, it was something that I, I didn't try because I did the full marathon and I was like, I'm done. (laughs) I'm done with running. Like I did some injuries to my foot and I just couldn't run for a few weeks. And then after that, I was like, what's the point? Um, so I got back into cycling and then now I'm just like 100%, uh, strength training. So I've seen a lot of benefits from both, but I think I've seen more benefits from strength training in terms of body composition anyway. Yeah, when it comes to body composition, I mean, strength training is 100% the gold standard. I mean, you can't really beat that any other way that I'm aware of. Um, I felt like when I did my keto marathon, I felt totally fine from a fueling standpoint. Like, I never bonked or anything. But, man, my feet were not prepared because I didn't train for it at all. I just did it. Um, oh. And <laughs> I hadn't run in years at all. I hadn't run in years at all. And then I, I just ran that thing. And then my feet were so unconditioned like I broke, I mean, I blew off like half my toenails. I mean, it was just, that was just brutal. Um, so yeah. I've been trying to run since then uh, much more casually just to kind of condition my feet, but nothing crazy. Like I'm running like a mile and a th- 1.3 miles a day now just, just to maintain. But I've been playing around with different running strategies. Have you ever heard of the pose method? No, I saw you were talking about it in your uh, seven set Sunday emails that mm-hmm. that I've signed up to, and I saw that you were talking about different running formulas, and that piqued my interest. I was like, no, I haven't, I haven't heard that. Like, I've I've read a lot of running books, and they generally talk about like pushing through the mental side of it. But yeah, when it comes to shoes or running form, like I haven't really delved that much into it apart from just run fast. <laughs> yeah, see, that, that's always how I looked at it too. Like, I mean, I always viewed running as, you know, not really being something that would require much technique. I mean, when I look at, you know, resistance training, it's all technique. You know, like how you hold your your wrist with a dumbbell is going to, you know, articulate certain parts of the, the muscle contraction. With running, I always just ran, you know. But uh, I realized that there is a technique to running, and I've been trying to play around with this. So this pose method, I don't know who popularized it. I don't know anything about the history of it. But basically, in traditional running, you know, you're you're putting one foot out in front of the other uh there's a song about that, I think. And uh, you hit your heel first. You know, you have a heel strike, and most of the weight is is transferring through your joints and ligaments um, just by the nature of, of that technique. Whereas with the pose method, you're basically just falling forward. Uh, so rather than pushing off with your rear foot like you do in typical running and then landing on your heel of the front foot, with the pose method, your feet are always underneath you. You're basically leaning forward as if you're about to fall, and you have this falling degree, which is typically around 15 degrees, and then rather than pushing off with your leg, you're simply pulling one leg up. So if you're about to fall, for instance, you you naturally raise one leg up, you pull that leg up to catch yourself. You're basically doing that just repetitively, so you're falling forward the entire time while pulling your legs up. Um, But when you do that, there's no extra weight and burden on your knees and joints, Um, Mm. so your risk of injury is significantly reduced. It just takes some serious getting used to because I've never done this before. So it's like my shins and my calves are incredibly sore, uh, but it's like a muscular soreness, not like a joint pain, you know, soreness. Mm, yeah, it's it's really interesting actually because, um, you know, when I first started running, I just started running in whatever shoes I had. And, <clears throat> and then when I 
felt I got a little bit serious, I went and bought a pair of ASICs and mm. I put them on and I went for a run and I just felt like I was being tipped forward the entire time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is incredible. You know, you can get so much more speed when you're, when you feel like you're, you're, you're leaning forward. And so I started doing some recording of, of just sprints. So sprinting back and forth and seeing what my running technique was like and trying to lean forward, but also have your, your, um, your feet come up quite high mm-hmm. towards the back. <clears throat> that was what I found worked for me. Um, and, you know, I think everyone has their own running technique per se, because when you go to a marathon, you go to an event, like everyone's running in a different way. But when you see the elites and how they run, they're all running the same. Yeah. And you, yeah, when you realize that you go, ah, oh, okay, yeah, there's lots of technique in this. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I haven't delved too much into it, but it definitely makes sense leaning forward and having your feet underneath you so that you're not healed. Like I, I do remember heel striking being quite um, a, a, a bit of a, something you wanted to avoid just because, yeah, you're sending those shocks up through your, your, um, the, the structure of yeah. you as opposed to your muscles really. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Like you, you dive into any anything in life, any genre, any industry, any niche, any sport, any activity, and there's just like this freaking rabbit hole that you can go down into. Like I never thought running would be something like that, but it's. I mean, there's like a like just as deep as the keto community is. There's a whole running community that's just as deep, and it's like it's cool because I mean the possibilities of learning new skills, new techniques, new practices is, is truly endless. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I think that the one thing that I found when running was that um, once you understand how to train in an endurance way, then you can apply it to anything. You can apply it to running, you can apply it to cycling, you can apply it to rowing. Um, and so I, I learned that very early on where you want to build up slowly from where you are. So if you're someone who's looking to run a marathon, you know, running a marathon straight away probably isn't the best goal. You want to just start off by doing, you know, one, one mile and then the next week doing 10% more than that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I, like, I sort of envision it like uh, wanting to do a, a, a 300 pound deadlift and, starting from zero and just trying to lift the weight. <laughs> you yeah. might, you're going to do your back. Like you're going to do, you, it's, it's going to be impossible. It's going to feel impossible. Whereas with running, you can do it, but uh, you know, it, you, you sort of end up with injuries. So you, you want to just be 10% better than what you did last week. And then every four weeks you want to taper off. So you want to build in um, what's called a recovery week, or you just want to make sure that you're, uh, you're in taper mode so that you're not constantly going up. You don't want to have consistent progressive overload. You want to build in an amount of time where you're, you're doing 50% less so your body can recover and then you come back to it after that. that that's something that I have found that a lot of runners don't do is build in that fourth week of recovery. They'll just keep trying to get faster and faster and faster and faster mm-hmm. and just hit this ceiling where they go, oh. And I think the same thing happens with strength training. You know, you, you want to try and progressively overload every single time, but it gets to a point where you then need to start doing wave loading or you need to start doing phase loading and things things like that where, yeah, there's, there's just a massive rabbit hole that you can go down with anything. But once you understand the concept of it, then you can figure out what aspect of that applies to you. Totally, totally agree, man. I mean, speaking of... You know, running is, is, is fun, but it's definitely not my area of expertise. The lifting, on the other hand, I, I can speak more on that. But like having a – like I'm actually in a deload week right now. Um, you know, I, I was I was feeling more pains and aches than I'm typically feeling. I'm like, what is going on here? So I started doing the math. And the last time I had taken a deload week was back in November sometime. Um, oh. So, so quite, a, quite a while <laughs> ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think doing it, you know, having it structured to do every six or eight weeks or so makes a lot of sense. But I mean, if you if you're implementing some form of progressive overload every single week, and then you allot a, a week in which you're training at, you know, significantly reduced intensity and weights, you know, like this week for instance, um, I'm pretty much just doing Crystal's workout with her. Like, not, not I mean, she's super strong, but she's not more than no, she's not near as strong as me, obviously. So I can pretty much work out with her, do the same thing with her weights, um, mm. and that is a pretty good way for me to just you know be conscious of the fact that I'm doing a deload. And then I'm able to like help her more, spot her still, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I've got that factored in, which has been super good for the both of us. And she had just done a deload week here recently. But having that as a way to just simply remove the likelihood of you having an injury, because if you're progressive overloading week after week after week, and then you have an injury, and then you're out for three weeks, then you're gonna you're gonna wind up being worse off than if you had just had one week that was at fifty percent intensity. 
and then come back and you're even stronger than you were before it. Mm, I totally agree. And I recently read, I think um, it's Eric Helms' um, uh, strength strength pyramid, mm-hmm. so the yep, strength yep. and training pyramid. Um, and uh, I read the one nutrition uh, back at the start of last year as well. And that was super helpful when I was tracking macros, but the strength and training one, um, that was where, you know, he builds in those different types of progressive overloads. And yeah, I mean, like I, I just got a, a, a gym downstairs, like we have a double garage and I was going to the gym up the road, but there was never any equipment. Like the squat rack was always taken and, mm-hmm. and you know, was, you'd always just be battling to try and get equipment. And, you know, I was like, stuff this. Like, <laughs> I wanna, uh, and, and so I bought a, 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 just a, like a really simple rack of my own and some weights and, and I got some of those adjustable dumbbells and it's totally changed because now there is absolutely no reason for me not to do that workout. And then it's also really easy to be able to, to, to track your overload and then also track your deloads because uh, you're using the same weight, you're using the same equipment, you're just using the same exact stuff every single time. And, um, and yeah, when you jump in with Crystal and you're doing her workout, it also gives you a bit of a change too. Like she might be doing something that's a little bit different. And so you can focus on your technique. And so focusing on technique, it doesn't really matter how heavy the weights are per se. It's more that you're, you know, really focusing in with that. And then you're building connection with her and there's just, yeah, there's so much benefit on, on being able to do things in an, at a similar time. And so, yeah, I, th- I think those those deload weeks are, are so important to build in on a regular basis, even if sometimes you don't feel like it because it's going to come after the, the next week <laughs> and you'll be like midway through another another progressive overload type scenario. And it's, it's it, you know, I'm, I'm really still new to this. I haven't been doing it for anywhere near as many years as some other people, but it's amazing what you can learn and, and, and can do in quite a short amount of time as well. Totally. It's honestly amazing what you can do with very minimal equipment too. I mean, the fact that you've got a squat rack and some adjustable dumbbells, I mean, that's literally all you need. Like I've got the basics here as well. And, you know, I haven't worked out in a commercial gym for almost three years now. And it's like, shoot, I, you'd have to pay me to go back to a commercial gym. I just prefer yeah. the bare <laughs> basics, you know, it's like the whole, like Dorian Yates blood and gut style training. It's like, you just have the bare minimum. You just get in your zone, you get in there, you get it done and you have zero distractions. There's so much to be said for that. Yeah. And, and even during COVID, I didn't have all of that stuff. I literally only had two 20 kilo kettlebells and the amount that you can do with that even is incredible because uh, when you have a set weight, you have to really work to be able to push on a particular exercise or like for shoulder press, for instance, like I wasn't quite up to that, but you can build up to it. Um, so that even if you have very little equipment, even if you have no equipment, just doing body weight exercises, this all still applies as well. Hundred percent. Well, I want to I want to dive into another area that I like running have very little expertise in, um, and that is parenting. So you have, like I said, recently had a uh, little girl. Um, how old is she now? So she's eleven weeks as of yesterday. Eleven weeks, and what's her name? Uh, her name's Ava. Ava, awesome, awesome. Yeah. So, talk to me about that, man. Was that like like? Like just unfold that story because that's just exciting. I'm super excited. I'm smiling right now. You can't tell because it's audio podcast, but I'm super happy for you, man. This is awesome. Oh man, I, I was so stoked, you know, and and still am so stoked. I, I think that um, when we found out uh, towards uh, towards the beginning of last year, um, we were just so over the moon. And um, so my partner Adele, she um, uh, she. Yeah, it was just so stoked throughout the entire time. And so we spoke to, so my sister's a nutritionist and she specializes in a little bit more in the pregnancy side mm-hmm. of nutrition. <clears throat> and so we started taking um, uh, plenty of omega-3s, plenty of magnesium, plenty of what's called a prenatal, which has got folate and a whole bunch of other micronutrients that are <clears throat> specific for like brain development, um, but also uh, making sure that you can kind of ward off a little bit of the morning sickness. It's not going to be inevitable, but uh, and yeah, so, so there was the first trimester, Adele was feeling, uh, had a lot of morning sickness. So that was one thing. And then second trimester is the best. Like if you, if you've, uh, ever, you know, if Crystal's thinking about this or maybe someone else is thinking about this on the podcast and, and you're not sure about being pregnant, second trimester is the best. <laughs> Third <laughs> trimester, it just gets hot and heavy and you just get sick of it and you just, you're done. Right. Um, and so as a, as, as someone who was looking after Adele, I was meal prepping a lot of the time for me. Like I'd spend two hours on a Sunday, just get all my meals done 
And then I would look after Adele so that I could focus on, you know, what, what kind of foods do you actually want to eat right now? And so I could just, you know, make that. And so during COVID, there was lots of lockdowns. And, and so I was trying to replicate a lot of the foods that she might've got from a restaurant. So there was like uh, ravioli with pine nuts and lamb and, and, and those types of things. And it was really awesome for me because whilst I probably wasn't eating it, I was still able to um, make those recipes in uh, trying to replicate how a restaurant would do it. And so it was just, it was just so good. Um, and, and being able to do that. And then we, uh, uh, Adele's waters broke and the <laughs> it was at night time and she's like Aaron Aaron get up get up and I'm like huh what happened your water broke okay and went back to sleep <laughs> and then it was like she had to try and do it three times to get me up and then after that I was like oh right game on <laughs> so we rushed to the hospital and got there and um and yeah then we had this uh, baby girl and when you when you get this tiny little child in your arms and then you realize you have to take care of them for the rest of your life. It's, it's crazy because one, you can either just back away from it and be like, Oh my gosh, this is way more than I can deal with. But I was so ready to be a parent at that time. And it was funny, like the night before me and Adele were speaking to each other and we said, look, we're just, we're just ready to be parents. And it was that night that (laughs) waters broke. It's just crazy. And, um, and so I've, I've done a lot of training in child brain development as well. So um, when Ava gets to the point where she's able to eat real foods, then I'm so ready for that too. <laughs> yeah. But for now it's just breast milk and breast milk and, uh, and she's a bit of a booby monster. And, uh, and so, yeah, she's, she's growing really well. Like I'm six foot five and my partner Adele, she, her, her grandfather was seven foot. Wow. And so Ava's already in the 92nd percentile in height um for her age which is i think i think she's gonna be tall <laughs> that's crazy she's gonna be taller than me that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's it, like the, the first couple of weeks um you're gonna be dealing with a lot of sleep deprivate like a very little sleep um but also just a lot of stress because you know are they breathing are you, are you doing the right thing? Are they too hot? Are they too cold? Like, you know, there's so much stress that goes into all of it. And, uh, and when you're running your own business and you're trying to keep other people happy and you're trying to keep home happy, it can be a lot, but, um, you know, it gets easier. And I I do think that whilst it also gets easier, it's, it gets harder in different ways. So it's, it's the greatest learning, uh, progression ever. Like if you're if you're someone who who loves learning about new things, then then having kids is is going to just change your world as well. I've got no doubt that you're going to be a rock star in it, man. I mean, just simply hearing you describe how you know during the lockdown you were preparing Adele meals based off of her cravings for whatever she wanted or tried to mimic that the restaurants you know couldn't offer. Like that's like next level man like you're a professional <laughs> chef you know friendly like doing all this you know healthy foods i could just see myself like throwing some cold liverwurst sausage on a plate for crystal and <laughs> throwing her pickling <laughs> it's good um so yeah yeah hats off to you there but as far as everything else man that's that's super exciting like i i know i know that's just got to be the most fulfilling thing it's got to be I mean, you said you said you're ready to be a parent and everything, but like as an entrepreneur, as a businessman like yourself, where it's kind of like you know you live and die by what you what you do. Is that like uh, is it? Do you just feel more stressed, or do you feel like more weight is on your shoulders in like f- to provide for more people, or how how does that feel? Um, so it actually is. Uh, it's it depends on your mindset. So I think that if you have the mindset where you have to be doing everything, if you have to be running things, if you have to be there to make sure that things are done, <clears throat> then it's going to put a lot of stress on your plate. Whereas if you, uh, you know, as an entrepreneur, we, we are the, the business owners or we are the people who make sure all the things get done, but we don't actually have to do them ourselves. And so that was where it really came to light to me where I was doing so much work on the blog. I was doing so much work with, with clients. And then, and then now like my time has suddenly become extremely valuable and I don't have to do everything. And, and that was for me, like I was looking at Instagram and I was really trying to see the metrics of what, what impact Instagram has on my business. And there was like 30 people go to my website um, from Instagram over a month. And I was like, you know what? 
ditch Instagram. <laughs> so, you know, just being really cold cut. It's not, it's not about, uh, it's not about doing all the things all the time. It's about doing the right things. And so I've, I've, I've pivoted and I've, I'm really only working two days a week, which, um, for someone who has to show up to another job or for instance, if I was a, still a developer, I would still have to go to work five days a week and punch in the time clock and punch out, you know, and it's so demoralizing because, you you literally have to trade money for time. Whereas mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, we're we're, we're both in such a, a, a lucky position where we if, if something really needs to get done, it will happen regardless of whether we're there or not, and it should happen whether we're there or not. And um and being able to step away from the business every now and then and to really assess what is happening can be a really great. Um, fresh start too so it just it just really aligns your your perspective and also your priorities too because if you don't have any priorities if you're doing everything all at once then that is stressful in itself and then adding a baby to that is like cataclysmic (laughs) um so you just really need to focus on the things that you do best and then everything else will either work itself out or you can employ people to do that because as a business owner, you can do that. It's not like, ah, oh, you know, I've got a nine to five and I have to go and show up there, but can I just pay someone else to do that for a little while? Mm-hmm. That doesn't really happen. <laughs> um, so uh, I think we're, we're, we're in the most uh, opportune um, position to be able to do that. And I think that that's, that's incredible to feel too. Like even I wouldn't care if there was no money coming in, I still have family and I still have, uh, you know, what we have here right now. And I could probably last on what I've built for a, a, you know, a year maybe. Um, but, uh, ideally I want to keep it going. So you just got to keep feeding that steam train <laughs> or the coal train, just keep feeding it coal every now and then it'll keep running. So, uh, that's my mentality anyway. No, I think that's super healthy, man. I mean, I feel like a lot of business owners they 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 view themselves as an employee of the company and they become a bottleneck. Um, mm. You know, I've been guilty of this at times for sure. I think probably every business owner has at one point or another. But when you have something like a baby come into your life and you recognize, you gain that perspective, and you realize that there is so much more to life than just simply the business or simply the career path. But there's like another human being that you've form that is part of you that is you and the time with them is finite and precious i mean it it almost depending on your your mindset and kind of like what you're describing if if you put that on the priority that it should be then you are more motivated to step out and remove yourself as a bottleneck and then you start seeing opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise see because you would have in the past filled those gaps whereas now you're looking to bring on outside creativity and and you know the end result may be a even smoother more streamlined operation mm, exactly exactly you know and i was i was one to definitely be a bottleneck in my own business and and uh doing all the things like even youtube i haven't done a youtube video in like four months now which i feel really guilty about but i also at the same time it's like sometimes it's just not worth my time to be putting out so many free resources um to to then uh, you know, beat myself up about it. <laughs> and and so now I'm just generating all the resources for my clients. And so those same videos that were getting 3 million views on YouTube are going to my clients instead, and they're getting so much benefit out of them. And if you're, if you're someone who has seen me on YouTube before and you become one of my clients, you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's, it's not like the train hasn't stopped running. It's just, it's running in a different direction or it's running to the people that need it the most. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's sort of my vision there, but yeah, you, you're totally right. There's, there's so much that you, you can be doing and there's so much that, uh, when you change your priorities that that really becomes crystal clear to you as well. Totally. What do you think you're going to do from like a parenting strategy with regards to, you know, nutrition and whatnot? I mean, you being in the space as long as you have, I mean, you know, that a lot of the you know, over-the-counter baby formulas that are out there, probably not the healthiest of ingredients. Um, so, like, what what do you intend to do, you and Adele, as far as, uh, you know, raising her with regard to nutrition and what, what's, your, what's your take on all that? Yeah, yeah, good question, actually, because <clears throat> I was, uh, as, a, as someone who was, you know, deep down the rabbit hole in nutrition, I was really scared that we weren't going to give the best nutrition to our little baby girl. And so I was doing all this research on breastfeeding and the difference between breastfeeding and bottle feeding. And 
uh, there's there's so much information out there, but I read a really good book that's called Crib Sheet, and it's by um, an economist, a, a economist, sorry, yeah. uh, no, sorry, or a statistician or someone, uh, and they basically just go over all the studies and they they go over you know whether breastfeeding is the best or bottle feeding is the best. And in actual fact, they're both the best. It doesn't matter as long as they're getting food. That's the main thing. And um, but when it comes to uh, when it comes to eating food. I think it's a little bit different because then you can, uh, the, you know, the breast milk or, or formula or whatnot, wherever they're getting their nutrition from for the first couple of months is is pretty vital for them, but they will also rid the mother of any nutrients that um, they require. So if, if you're breastfeeding, you will, you will tend to just lose a lot of nutrients if you're not getting them from food. And so that, that was where I really tried to step in and make sure that Adele's eating in a relatively proper way, but also, you know, taking the the supplements that also help those types of things, making sure she has got enough omega-3 because, uh, you know, Ava's brain's growing at a really rapid rate right now. And in the first two years, they, they gain a very large percentage of their brain mass from, from the foods they're eating. They're eating. So <clears throat> that's, that's quite important, but whether it comes from breast milk or, or formula, I don't think really matters that much. However, when you when you go into eating whole foods, I get a lot of questions on, oh, you know, sh- uh, I've I've got kids, you know, should I put them on a ketogenic diet? Or maybe it's when they become teenagers and 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 they've maybe put on some weight. Uh, that you know, should I get them on a ketogenic diet? And my general recommendation is no. I don't think that kids should have restrictive diets. I don't think that they should be in a restrictive manner. And not that the ketogenic diet is restrictive, but I do think from a child's perspective, if you say you can't have all of this stuff, then they're just going to want it even more. So what you can do is really prioritize whole, healthy, nutritious foods and don't um, and don't push sugar because sugar in whatever diet you're doing, I just don't think sugar really has a, a great place in our life. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so if you can try and eliminate uh, sugar, then everything else, there's so much food out there, which is, which is super, super healthy, right? But the problem is there's a lot of packaged foods. There's a lot of foods that have sugar in them. Um, so if you, if you have kids and you're looking to really understand how to make the best of their nutrition, you just cut out sugar. I just don't think sugar has, has a, a, a place in, in anyone's life really, but teach also teaching them about it. So not just cutting it out completely and saying that that's the worst food in the world. You know, if they have sugar and they have that sugar rush and then they, you know, get thrown off the edge of a cliff because their blood sugar levels just drop so low, then uh, teach them about that. You know, is that something that you want to happen again? Like this is the type of food that will cause that. Do you want that to happen again? And so really teaching them and, and making sure that they're aware of what how, what they're eating and how they feel, um, That that's a, that's a huge thing. And I think that when it comes to kids, they're always going to have birthday parties and they're always going to have the opportunity to eat a lot of sugar. But if they have the right mindset about it, then I think that they'll they'll make the best decision. And I think even with kids, it's amazing how much intelligence someone will have if you give them the responsibility. Um, so that that's sort of my my take on it there. No, I completely completely agree. I think you know you don't want to have a restrictive approach towards you know young children because they're not going to have enough perspective to understand where that's coming from. But if you're living by example and just explaining things to them, I mean, I've I've heard several people you know talk to their kids like they were talking to an adult and honestly Hmm. that works so very well like people people discredit how smart kids can be but they're Hmm. incredibly observant they're so creative they're incredibly observant and if you you if you talk to them like you with respect like you would anybody else if there's something that you want to get across and you explain why you want to get across i mean that that's going to carry a lot more weight than just simply saying no because um you know, so I think I think that is is so so key, so key. When we have kids, I'll tell you what, I'll be making them those uh, keto cinnamon rolls that you that you put in your last book. <laughs> those things are amazing. <laughs> oh, mate, they are so good. And and the cheesecake that that's one like I make for my dad every single uh, one of his birthdays is like cheesecake, dad, and he's like, yep, <laughs> same thing. <laughs> but it's just so good. But yeah. Cinnamon rolls, cheese, and, and there's there's so many great alternatives out there too. And and uh, it, recently, I've been moving away from sugar alcohols, and I've been moving more towards stevia and monk fruit, or even trying to 
get rid of that sweet taste altogether because, um, uh, you know, just the behavior pairing that sort of sits with that. Like you don't want to be replacing, uh, if you're someone who used to drink Coke and then now you're on a ketogenic diet and you start drinking Diet Coke, um, the, beha- the behavior is still there. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so that's where I was thinking like, oh shit, I'm contributing to the problem where if you're someone who used to eat cinnamon rolls and now you're just eating the keto versions of them all the time, it's probably not the greatest thing either. So uh, as I was saying before, it's like, it's, it's learning about whether those, whether those foods actually have a place in, in your life. And if they do, then just learning how those foods um, make you feel. Well, like how does, how does that food make you feel? And how do those, those desserts, uh, like uh, I always catch clients doing the double dessert yeah. <laughs> and I go, watch out for the double dessert, like having dessert after every meal or after, after breakfast and after dinner, you know, it, it, it can get kind of tricky, but um, yeah, just making sure that what you're doing is an intentional and, and you're intentionally moving in the right direction as well. hundred percent, man. I feel like with, with a lot of, you know, desserts, like in the traditional sense of the word, that's just totally crap food. You know, people will, will, deviate the go off course to eat that and they feel so guilty about eating it that it's like okay well it's already ruined i might as well just eat the rest of it whereas like mm-hmm. with a lot of the keto desserts like for instance when i'm making you know like one of your keto cinnamon rolls for instance like it's not probably the most optimal you know food for professional bodybuilding but it's a treat but it doesn't mm. it doesn't you know stimulate cravings or a sensation that i've done anything wrong like it's all in line with what i'm trying to do on a macro level so i'll eat it i won't feel guilty about it and then i don't need to just keep eating it i'll have it i'll moderate it it's much easier to moderate something that you inherently know is not that bad for you than it is, than it is to to moderate something that you know is bad for you yeah and and what you said right there about not feeling guilty about it that is key because i i have a lot of clients who will tend to maybe uh deviate off the track or maybe they've gone out for dinner and they've you know eaten something that they may not have uh they shouldn't have right but it's not about that it's about the guilt and what happens is that when you feel the guilt you'll uh, the, the guilt will drive you to do it again yep. because you feel guilty about it and there's this like negative self loop that happens there where you just keep going around and around and around and around in circles and if you can just stop feeling guilty about it then it won't happen again and the way you stop feeling guilty about it is make it part of your plan so if you are going to have cinnamon rolls um, and for me like I love having uh, yogurt with some protein powder or even like sugar-free jelly where I make it with the Ultima electrolytes mm-hmm. is that if you are going to have that sort of stuff make it part of your plan don't feel guilty about it and that's it. Or it, it, even if it's something that's not quote unquote keto right if you if you make it part of your plan and you don't feel guilty about it then you're not going to want to spend days or weeks or months trying to find that same food again <laughs> 100% um, so yeah it's 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 a very powerful thing is that is that that guilt and and how you deal with it as well and that's when it all loops back around like we were saying and it becomes a psychological you know, thing more so than just physical. So, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. How do you start, how do you fix me um, trying to eat my emotions? It's like <laughs> <laughs> that. That's it right there. Yep. Absolutely. Well, what do you get? What do you get in store, man? What, what's exciting you right now? Um. So I, I've been doing these little workshops, and they're they're like uh, little bite sized, really actionable pieces on um, taking one step in the right direction. So, you know, I've got the five-day carb cleanse where it's just a free free little thing where people will go through and the, on the first day they put all of their, you know, terrible foods that they might have in the house in a box and, and, and put that box in the garage or something where they're not making the micro decision every time they open up the cupboard to, to say, oh, don't eat that food or don't eat that food. It's all just gone. And even if you live in a house with other people who are not keto, just tell them it's in the box in the garage and chances are they're probably not going to go get it either because they're not having to make the micro decision every time they open the fridge um, or the free or the cupboard or whatnot. So uh, that the, the five day carb cleanse that I, I've I've seen a lot of benefit with even just putting clients through that. It's just phenomenal. Um, and then also I ran a little workshop uh, just this week um, all about the foundations of tracking. So a lot of people get really confused on where to start tracking, what their macros are, how to put it into the, the app. Like uh, I've been using Chronometer a lot um, and I find it's a, it's a really, really great app. And I've helped people, you know, go from having no idea about macros to being able to track macros and, and being able to, like I had, I had someone um, sent me a comment the other day. So I did the, I did the workshop on Tuesday and they sent me a message on Wednesday saying, I've already lost three pounds. And it was just because I was eating way too much. 
And and so, you know, going from having absolutely no idea to then having an idea is really powerful. And so I've been doing these workshops like that. I might be doing one on cravings with with John uh, in, in, a, in a couple of months' time and also I'll be doing one with my sister on hormones. And so it's about removing those blockages for people where they get really unstuck and it's about letting them take that first step or getting them the information or the ability to know that they can take that first step in the right direction. Um, so I'm, I'm really stoked about doing those at the moment. And obviously about the healthy keto air fry cookbook, I've, I've been <laughs> snapping photos of it's, it's quite unique to be able to walk into a bookstore and see your book there and, um, and take a photo of it. It's just, you feel ridiculous, but <laughs> it's awesome at the same time too. No, that's, I mean, that, that's inspiring, man. You're, you've been killing it. You've been super busy. You're, you're making waves in all circles. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to keep watching the journey because every time I talk to you, like I said at the very beginning of this, this podcast, like you've had a lot of really big pivotal shifts happen in your life in such a short period of time. It's just, you got some awesome momentum going, man. It's because you've been putting in the work over the past several years. So keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, man. I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, I, uh, I, I, I love watching what you guys do too as well because I think you guys are just so consistent and so well dialed in that respect. And so whenever I need some consistency motivation, I just jump over to your, your Instagram or your website or whatnot. And, um, and I, I actually, I haven't been able to uh, do it yet, but I, I sent Frida a, a big box of keto bricks because I know that she's in the States. So I sent her a big box of keto bricks, but I haven't really pulled the trigger on sending one to Australia because I, I would assume that they'd probably be like a, a melted mess by the time they got here, right? Uh, I've, sent, I've sent some to Australia. I've got, you know, several people have bought them in Australia. It's all just depends on if if the, the shipping carriers are on top of their game. I mean, there's been, shipping's been crazy with COVID, especially international shipping, but um, for the most part, it's 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 not too bad. As far, as far as, you know, as long as they're not sitting in any one location for too long, they shouldn't melt at all. Oh, cool. Maybe I'll have to order a box. That might be, because <laughs> I've always, I've, I've been so intrigued. I'm like, keto, what does it actually taste like? And I've tried to make my own and they're rubbish. And so. <laughs> Shoot, man, I'll send you some. Don't even, don't even, don't even worry about it. I'll send you some. Email me a good shipping address for you and I'll get that to you, man. Oh, fantastic. That'd be so great, man. I, I really appreciate it. And, and um, you know, if, if there's anything I can, I can help you out with, or there's anything that uh, any of your clients feel like they're struggling with, you know, meal prepping or, or putting together recipes or like flavor combinations, that's my jam. Um, I'm more than happy to help out and just willing to lend a hand because I know that there's a lot of people out there who really struggle with the idea of the ketogenic diet and they're already living like a really stressful life. And so how to like take the stress out of it um, that's that's what I live and breathe. No, man, your your recipes are all rock solid. Like if I ever have clients that are like wanting, you know, ideas as far as how to hit the macros that I give them and they're, they're wanting some some recipes, I always point them your direction. So that that's a no-brainer for sure. You, your stuff is all rock solid. Oh, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. All right, so where is your website? What, what's, what's your website so people listening can find you without any problem? Yeah, so I'm the guy with the accent. So the accent is from Australia, which means my website has a .com.au on the end. <laughs> um, so it's fat for weight loss, all spelled out, no no numbers. It's just all spelled out, .com.au. And so you can jump on there. You can uh, you can order the Healthy Keto Air Fryer Cookbook on Amazon. That's usually the best place to get it. I believe it's also in Whole Foods as well. Um, I'm not sure, but give them give them a look. Uh, and if you're in Australia and you're listening to this podcast, you can also get it at Dimmix and QVD and Big W and um, fingers crossed Kmart maybe, but I know Kmart in the US is like the worst shop in the world, but here yeah. in Australia, it's it's going bananas. Like it's absolutely going gangbusters. So um, fingers crossed it gets into Kmart. That would be my, my one-time goal. <laughs> that's awesome. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Uh, I, uh, I I have a YouTube channel. I'm on I'm it. On Instagram, I'm usually just on messages on Instagram. I'm not really like posting that much these days. On Facebook, um, do do the five day carb cleanse if you if you feel like you're really stuck with craving carbs, and uh, that's about it. I don't know if anybody's ever made an audible version of a cookbook, but you ought to totally look into that, man. Oh, I I actually think someone has, and I think it might be Maria Emmerich. She has done. She is like the cookbook genius, and so she's done lots and lots of cookbooks. And I think maybe 
her books have been turned into audiobooks. I'm not sure, but but I've always thought about that because I love audiobooks. I'm I, I'm signed up to Audible. I've been there for like f- five six years or something and I've got like 300 books in my library and so Audible's my jam and so I wish I could like read out recipes for people but I don't think people would remember it and well, <laughs> so, what, if you, what if you read it out like as you're making it so it would pretty much be real time for as they're making it. so like you could be just talking them through the recipe like real time as they're like they would plug you in to make something and then just listen to you like, okay, now stir the pot for five minutes or something with, with your voice yeah, though, with like, your accent, it'd be awesome. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be really awesome. It, it, it would probably sit in the ASMR cat- category. Like, <laughs> you could get some cooking sounds going on and stuff. Oh, wow. There's, there's so much potential there. I like it. I'm telling you, man. Yeah, like, you know, the family in the background, Ava in the background, make noises and that's just all part of the, the all part of the experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100% crying in the background. <laughs> Just turn it up really loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, shoot, man. Always a pleasure talking to you. We'll have to do a podcast round four at some point in the future. Oh, mate, I can't wait for it. Ne- next book, like, let's tee it up. Let's do it, man. Aaron, always a pleasure, brother. <laughs> you keep killing it. Keep in touch, man. I'll send you some bricks. Will do. Thank you so much, mate. I appreciate it. You bet. Take care.